Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm Stephen Buckley. I'm going to read the Bible passage this morning. But let's, let's first bow our heads and pray about the reading. Heavenly Father, please give us faith to receive your word, understanding to know what it means, and the will to put it into operation and practice. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The reading is from Luke, it's chapter 15 and beginning at verse 11 and you can find it on page 1048 in the Bibles that you've been given as you came in. So the Gospel according to Luke chapter 15 beginning at verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back, safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, 
look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Gordon. I'm the assistant minister here. It's great to be with you this morning. A special welcome to you. This is your first time you're here with us, you're visiting with us. I hope you feel welcomed by our church family. And uh, happy Father's Day to dads out there. It's a special day, isn't it? In our calendar where we get to remember and thank God and celebrate our fathers and those who are also like a father to us. Because our dads, they have a huge influence on us, don't they? Huge part of who we are um, is because of our dads and who they are. Uh, so I chose to study engineering. Uh, a big part of that was because that's what my dad did. Uh, he um, liked maths and science, and so you know, that's what I liked when I studied at school. That influenced what I liked. Uh, but it's not just our professions or what we study that our dads might have that influence on us, right? Maybe personality or character traits. Uh, so there's this blog that I came across, a website called The Fatherhood. It has all these articles on being a dad or how to be a dad, that kind of thing. And um, I saw that they did this interview with David Beckham. You know, that's a way to get people on your website, David Beckham. Uh, anyway, they have David Beckham at home uh, playing with his kids. They've got photos of him, you know, washing vegetables, <laughs> cooking, making coffee, that kind of stuff. And they kind of ask him about what it's like being a dad, and he says all these things. But Perhaps the most kind of interesting thing was when he started talking about his own father. And for his own father, you know, his father, you know, really liked football, um, but, you know, was really into working hard, you know, having a work ethic, you know, being hardworking was something that was really important to his father. And, you know, that was very clear. Um, and that was something that then became a large part of who David Beckham was, you know, particularly as a footballer. Because this was so important to his dad, it became important to him. And then it became important to him as he passed it on to his own children. You know, they're all growing up as celebrity children, so he really wants them to be hardworking. And, you know, reading this article, it kind of made me wonder how much of what our dads love, you know, how much of what they think is valuable to their hearts, how much of that actually influences what we love, you know, what we think is valuable? interesting thought for Father's Day, isn't it? The Bible uses, you know, many pictures to describe what God is like. You know, he's like a shepherd, he's like a king, but perhaps the most unique picture of the Christian understanding of God is that he's father. God isn't just like a father. Christians get to call God our father. He's not just like a father to us, he is our father. D Jesus teaches us to pray our father in heaven. 
As we celebrate Father's Day today, as we pray and thank God for our fathers, I'd love us to think also and celebrate our Heavenly Father. I'd love us to think about His heart. You know, what does He love? What does He think is important? What's valuable to Him? What does His heart long for? What does He celebrate? And so this morning, uh, we're turning to one of Jesus' most famous stories, uh, the story or the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son from Luke chapter 15. Uh, You may have heard this story before, but I want to suggest that this famous title, The Lost Son, is not actually the best description of what this story is actually about. It's a story about two sons, not one. So verse 11, it begins, uh, there was a man who had two sons. It's actually a story about a father with two sons. And that's kind of how the story is split. And so the first act of, the first of two acts of this story, if you will, it begins with the younger son, looking at this younger son. And as you might have realized, it's not a great start. Uh, So come with me to verse 12. Uh, The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Uh, So the Jewish norm back then um, was that the family wealth, the family inheritance, would be divided between all the sons when the father died. But here, the son's actually asking for it while his dad's still alive. Just think about that. He's basically saying, Dad, I don't want you. I just want your stuff. I just want your money. I kind of wish you weren't here. You know, I wish you were dead so I could have your stuff. That, you know, that's what he's saying. How do you feel about that? But what the father does next is actually really surprising. So he divided his property between them. He doesn't lash out. He doesn't, there's no how dare you. He, gives, he lets him have what he wants. Uh, this word that's translated property it could also be translated as the word life. It's the Greek word. The Bible's uh, originally in Greek, ancient Greek. It's the word bios, which is where in English we get words like biology. You know, it means life. The father essentially splits up his life for this son. You know, his life is torn up. If we kind of take a, take a step back here, this story is as close as you can get as an allegory. Jesus is saying that this father in the story is God. This father represents God. And this younger son, he represents those in the world who say to God, I don't want you. I don't want you in my life. I wish you weren't here. I'm going to treat you as if you were dead, as if you didn't exist. But I kind of want your stuff, you know. I like the good things in the world that you might have made and given me. I like that. But I don't want you. I want to go my own way. And God is like a father watching his children run away from him. It tears his heart. It tears his heart as he watches his children reject him. Now the story continues, and this younger son, Jesus says, goes abroad. He has the time of his life. But at the end of verse 13, we're told that he'd squandered his wealth in wild living. You don't have to try too hard to imagine what happened there, but he splashed it all away. Bank account is dry. And verse 14, and then to make the situation worse, things that are outside of his control happen. There was a, f- a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. It's a disaster, famine. The economy takes a hit. And he's so desperate now that in verse 15 it says, 
So he went and hired himself to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Uh, as a Jew back then, you can't get any lower than this. You know, working for a non-Jew, caring for pigs, and even being so hungry that you're craving pig food. There's no one who cares for him. He's all alone. Nothing to eat. He's hit rock bottom. And at that lowest point, he starts thinking about his, his father. And so verse 17, when he came to his senses... Uh, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. You've got to see what he's saying here. He realizes that he's, he, he has deeply wronged his father. He's got no claim to even be accepted back as a servant. He's really at his father's mercy. And so he rehearses this little spiel what he could say, perhaps there's a chance he might be allowed back as a servant, at least, you know, who have somewhere to stay, something to eat, at least maybe he could even give something back to kind of repay the damage that has been done. But what happens next in this story that Jesus tells is the big shock. Verse 20, uh, so he got up, he got up and uh, went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And was filled, not with anger, not with resentment as we might be in that situation, but filled with compassion, compassion for him. His father is filled with compassion for him. He doesn't tell the security guards, lock the doors, don't let this shameful, rebellious son come back in. No, instead, he ran to his son. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him, embraced him and kissed him. If you uh, had a chance to read a commentary about this, a lot of scholars say that this is the most outrageous thing for a Middle Eastern you know, patriarch to do. Not just that he's welcoming this shameful son back, but to run out. You know, old men back then don't run. To run out, to embrace, to kiss him. And this son, he starts his little rehearsed spiel. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father interrupts him. He won't even entertain the thought of his son being a servant. Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. This is huge for that culture. This is the sign of being an heir, being the son. And friends, this is such an important detail. The father, this father, totally receives his son back. He completely restores him as his son. The son is totally accepted back, completely restored as the son, as the heir. And friends, this is the essence of the Christian gospel, the, the good news. God doesn't need you to repay him, to work off the loan, to, you know, when a sinner repents, you know, Vicky did a really good demonstration, when a sinner turns back to God, they don't have to pay God back. It's not like you have to work off a debt, you know, you know, work, you know, pay back the damages done in monthly installments to work it off. No, the, the debt is completely cancelled. You don't come back as a servant who has to work, you know, who's someone who's not really part of the family. This father in the story totally restores him as his son. Total forgiveness, complete restoration as his son. That's the picture here. And it doesn't end there. 
There's celebration. You know, it's not like the end of maybe a court settlement where things are kind of sorted legally, but it's still awkward and tense between the parties. No, this is a picture of the greatest celebration. Bring the fattened calf. Let's have a feast and celebrate. That's what the Father says. Why? Verse 24. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You see, when a sinner repents, when someone turns back to God, they're coming back to life. They're reborn into a new life. They're being brought from death to life. They're dead but now alive again. They're lost but now found. And when that happens, Jesus said, and Pippi, great verse that Pippi had before, there's a massive celebration in heaven, Jesus says. God loves that. That's what he celebrates. That's what his heart is longing for. Friends, that's only just half the story. See, the second act of this story, the last act, if you will, is about the older brother. And he's out in the field, so from verse 25 onwards, and he hears the noise, the celebration. He asks what's going on, and he learns that his younger brother has come back, and that's why everyone's celebrating. So how does he respond to this news? Verse 28, The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Get that, he's angry, he's outraged. He refuses to go into the house, he refuses to join the party. And there's this irony here. You know, this younger brother who was on the outside, he ran away from home. He's literally, he was on the outside, but now he's in, he's in the inside, isn't he? He's inside the house, literally. He's received back and he's celebrating. But the older brother, who had been on the inside, you know, he is the one that stayed at home. He didn't run away like his brother did. But now he's on the outside, literally, outside the house, outside the party, throwing a tantrum, refusing to enter. An irony. But notice what the father does. So the father went out and pleaded with him. The father goes out to him this son, this older son. He pleads with him to come in. He pleads with him, come in, come in. But the older son just complains in verse 29. Look, he says, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, he won't even acknowledge him as his own brother, when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. But his father says, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. He's saying, you're my son. Everything I have belongs to you too, including these animals. You you always have, you've always had access to all these things. You've always had access to celebrate with me. But we had to celebrate in verse 32. We had to celebrate. Why? Because your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. See, that's the point. This older brother doesn't get why this is something worth celebrating. He didn't get why this was so valuable to his father. This is what his father longed for. His father longed to see his brother come home, to be found, to be brought back to life, forgiven, restored. When I was uh, exploring the Christian faith, there was a particular quote from C.S. Lewis, you know, the guy that wrote Narnia. There was a particular quote that really stuck with me, and it really helped me to see that the Christian gospel was so different from any other religion, 
It wasn't religion at all. And this is the quote. He says, a cold, righteous prig, I don't know what a prig is, but who goes regularly to church may be far nearer to hell than a prostitute. He then says, but of course it's better to me neither. But wow, that's uncomfortable, right? Or is it actually quite comforting? You see, if the younger son represents those who tell God that they don't want anything to do with him, if that's what the younger son represents, then the older son represents those who are self-righteous. They see themselves as right before God, accepted by God based on their own religious behavior, their own moral behavior. They, they demand God. They say, you know, you have to reward me based on how loyal, how upright, how clean I am. You know, they say to God, I've never done this. I've never done that. I've done this for you, God. I've done that for you. You have to do things for me. Because I've done this and I haven't done that, then you have to accept me, God. Friends, that's, that's self-righteousness. It's the premise of most religions. Every religion in the world basically says, if I do this and I don't do that, then God has to somehow accept me. Friends, that's not the gospel. That's not the Christian message. In fact, if you think like that, then what C.S. Lewis is trying to say to you is that you're probably further away from God than you think. You're probably even further away from God than the person who's on the complete opposite side of you, on the so-called moral spectrum. You see, the older son is just as lost as the younger son was. The Christian message is not religion. The gospel says that you are lost. You are far away from God. But if you turn back to God, no matter what you have done, no matter what you have done, God will accept you totally, completely. I became a Christian at the end of high school, and I remember a few years after that, I went along to this Christian camp with my church. It was a camp where a number of different people from different churches came along. And so at this camp, I saw this guy that I went to high school with. And this guy, I don't really know how to say this, but you know how you have different groups at school? Maybe there's the, the rugby guys, there's the uh, computer guys. Uh, this guy was in the drug group, let's say. And not just that, it's not just that, he was really unkind, he was really rude, you know, a bit of a bully, and so you can imagine, I was a bit surprised to see him at this Christian camp, but we made eye contact, and so I had to walk over, and as I was walking over to him, in my head, I'm thinking, you know, what are you doing here? But before I could even say anything to him, he says to me, what are you doing here? You see, you know, I wasn't the most, you know, religious or moral person at high school either. See, we're so conditioned to categorize people into good people, bad people, people that I'd want to hang out with, people I don't want my kids to play with. But to God, everyone is lost. No one can earn their way back to Him. But He welcomes anyone back. He longs for everyone, every single person to come back to Him. Now, this story is left a bit hanging. You know, we don't really know what this older son ends up doing. Does he come back to join the party or does he, you know, stay outside, refusing to enter? A lot of people, to finish up, you know, a lot of people have a picture of God in their heads. You know, God who maybe is a bit like that, maybe it's like a stingy teacher at school who, you know, has the red pen out, you know, is just waiting to get that kick, you know, when they can mark you wrong for something, just wants to 
dish some detention out. Hopefully there's no teachers like that at school anymore. But that's not the picture of God. That's not the heart of our Heavenly Father. Our God longs for the lost to be found. That's what He celebrates. He celebrates when sinners turn back to Him. And, you know, maybe if you identify more with the younger son in this story, maybe you feel like you've gone away from God, you've run away and done your own thing, and uh, now you're maybe realizing that things haven't turned out the way you wanted in life. Maybe you feel a bit guilty. You know, is there a way back for me? Will God accept me? Maybe you feel like you have to offer something to God in order for Him to accept you. Maybe you're even watching online because you can't even bring yourself to church. But God longs for you to come home. He's ready. He's waiting for you, ready to run out and embrace you. Not just that, this father, he sent his son to go into the world to find you, to save you, to die on the cross so that you can be forgiven. Jesus, the one who's telling the story, is God who came into our world to die on the cross so that we can be saved, so that we can be forgiven. See, we don't dictate how God loves us. You know, sometimes we feel like there's nothing in us for him to love. But the gospel says that he loves you. He does love you, no matter what you've done, and he's waiting for you to turn around and come back home. So if that's you, come home. Come home. But maybe this story has made you realize that you're maybe more like the older son. You know, you don't really feel like, you don't really care that sinners are forgiven. It's not something that excites you too much. Maybe you'd rather they not. I just want to say, beware of self-righteousness. Beware of believing that God has to accept you based on what you've done. But also realize that God's coming out to you too. He's pleading for you to come in, to come in and join the party, you know, join his mission to save the lost and celebrate with him when they, are, when they do turn back and when they are saved. 